0: Welcome to Point with Daryl Jones, speaker and lead pastor of the Rock Fellowship Church in Miami, Florida, and president of Point Ministries. Our goal at Point Ministries is to point you to the Word of God, where Jesus is the point. Today's message is from the series, Ordinary People, Extraordinary Experiences, where Dr. Jones teaches how God uses everyday normal people to accomplish amazing things for the kingdom of God. Now let's join them for today's message.
1: Today we're going to look at a particular person that was a foe to God. He was an enemy of God. He was in direct opposition to God. And he went from foe to follower. Foe to follower. And his name is Saul who you may be more familiar with with being called Paul. The Apostle Paul, he's one of the most famous figures in all of Christian history. He's written over uh, 13 books of the 27 books of the New Testament. We're talking about a, a heavy weight in the faith. And sometimes we forget that he moved from a direct enemy of God to a follower of God. And... We see in his story just how different God is from me and you. Very few of us <laughs> could have the heart that God had for a guy like Paul and to do with Paul what God did in his life. Now, I want to give us a little background history when it comes to Paul, because we got to understand some of his background and some of his life so we can see just how God has moved in his life as God is fulfilling his mission in the church. And we see that Paul was actually born in Tarsus. He was born in Tarsus. He was born in in a Greek city. He wasn't born in, in Jerusalem. He was born and at some point mostly was raised as a Roman citizen. He's raised as a Roman citizen, and this was huge when it came to his call on his life that God had for him. That he had no idea what God would do, but he was from Tarsus, but then later was transitioned over to Jerusalem to train under the famous Gamaliel. You know, he, he got top-notch education. Gamaliel was one of the most respected rabbis, and he was trained as a Pharisee. Some of the old records show that Pharisees, at minimum, had memorized the five books of Moses. So that's Genesis to Deuteronomy. Some even speculate that he may have even memorized the whole Old Testament, the whole of the Hebrew Bible. That is magnificent. He was trained to Serve God to know God to keep the law of God. He was trained as a Pharisee and Pharisees were those that were formed after the return of the deportation historically to Babylon. They returned back and the Pharisees during that time of what we call the intertestamental period between Old Testament and New Testament, 400 years of silence of God until John the Baptist spoke. You know, you have all that kind of history, but the Pharisees were formed in that time because they were like, we won't undergo the discipline of God like our forefathers. Our forefathers and our ancestors were were disobedient to God, and God took him out the land just as he promised in Deuteronomy. We won't be like that. So what the Pharisees did were they said, we're going to be so strict and adhere to the law, they even started to build other laws around the law of God just to make sure they didn't sin against God's law. But here, Paul was trained under the top notch, and we even see in that Galatians passage, Paul says he surpassed his peers. Like, Paul was brilliant. Paul was brilliant, but I'm calling him Paul because he's really Saul growing up. His name is Saul. And we're introduced to Saul for the first time in Acts chapter 7. And I want us to read how he's introduced to us in Acts chapter 7, starting at verse 58. The text says, They dragged him out of the city and began to stone him. And the witnesses laid their garments at the feet of a young man named Saul. We're introduced to Saul at the very stoning of Stephen. Now, let's, let's, let's paint this picture of what's going on here because we're seeing Saul being introduced now when the persecution of the church breaks out. Jesus has ascended back to the Father. He told him to go to the ends of the earth. They didn't go, they stayed. Then a great persecutor, persecution broke out against the church and Stephen was stoned to death. And from there broke the great persecution and saw himself is introduced to us as participating full support in the straight-up murder of Stephen. And why did they kill Stephen? They killed Stephen because he would not renounce his faith in Jesus Christ. They told him, quit talking about that Jesus. Quit preaching about that Jesus. Recant on all this stuff you're talking about. And he stood there and preached a whole history and was getting to the point of just how the forefathers and ancestors had kept rejecting the salvation of God. He's about to tell them, y'all are rejecting God's salvation in Jesus Christ. They stoned to death. And Paul is there. Holding their garments in full support. And you may be sitting there like, Pastor, he's just holding garments. Saul wasn't doing nothing. He wouldn't even throw a stone. Let's see how else he's described. Acts chapter 8. Stay in Acts for a little bit. In Acts chapter 8, starting in verse number 1, it said, Saul agreed with putting him to death. On that day, a severe persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem, and all except apostles were scattered throughout the land of Judea and Samaria. Devout men buried Stephen and mourned deeply over him. Saul, however, was ravaging the church. He says that he's ravaging the church. Saul is leading the charge in direct opposition to the salvation that the Father has provided. The creator of the heavens and the earth, the very God who gave the covenant to Abraham, who made a covenant with the nation of Israel to give them the land and be their God. He be their people so that they may be a light to the Gentiles. Their very God, Saul, is now working in direct opposition. He is God's enemy. And if you think that it was just about throwing people in prison, (laughs) Saul went even further than that. Go in chapter 9, Acts chapter 9, and we're going to look at in verse 1, verse 1 and 2. Acts chapter 9, verses 1 and 2, it says, now Saul was still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord. He went to the high priest and requested letters from him to the synagogues in Damascus so that he would if he found any men or women who belonged to the way that's 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 the followers of Christ he might bring them as prisoners to Jerusalem now if you think this is just Luke's record Paul even gives his own confession He gives his own confession. In Galatians 1 and Philippians 3 and 1 Corinthians 15, he was like, look, don't get it twisted. I was a persecutor of the church. He was a direct enemy of God. See, God sees everything that Saul is doing. And then God's omniscience, him being all-knowing, in his sovereignty, nothing slipping through his fingers. In his omnipotence, him being all-powerful, he allowed Saul to do what he was doing up to a point because he wanted to use Saul in a special way so that the world may know truly who God is. He turned a foe into a follower, and instead of punishing Saul, instead of striking Saul dead, for his murder of innocent men and women because of their faith in Jesus Christ, he saves Saul's life. I want you to understand what was happening in his life. He's trained as a Pharisee. He's he, he seen this guy. He's, this guy who was said to be Messiah was crucified on a cross. He hung on a tree. That is one who has received the curse of God. In his mind, no way that dude can be Messiah. Messiah would not be killed by the Romans. And of course, he would not receive the curse of the Almighty God by being hung on a tree. No way. But when he met the resurrected Jesus, when Ananias came and explained the gospel, when, through this whole experience, he realized what occurred on the cross of Calvary, that yes, Jesus did bear the curse on the tree. Jesus took on the sins of the world and now he's commissioned and called Saul to now go take that same message that he was persecuting to take it to the ends of the earth, to take it to the Gentiles, to the kings, to the Israelites, to everybody that he can reach. This is a crisis of faith with him and yet he has come undeniably face to face with Jesus. He has been saved He has been redeemed and he gets things going. He doesn't wait. Saul has went from a persecutor to now a proclaimer. He's preaching the gospel. He's proven. Remember, he's trained deeply in the Old Testament. He's going through. He's telling the Jews, Jesus is the one we've been waiting on. Jesus is the promised Messiah. And he's proven it to now. The Jews that he used to serve, they're like, oh, we got to kill this dude. We got to do to him what he was doing to everybody else. And they lower him. Now now he's on the run for his life. But remember, he came face to face with the Lord. He understands the call on his life. He is fully convinced that Jesus is indeed the Messiah. So what does he do after they say they're going to kill him? Let's look at Paul's words in Galatians. The one who persecuted the church is now proclaiming that very gospel and is bringing God glory. I stress this, family you sitting here and you hating somebody and you want something bad to happen to them. They may be doing that very thing because God wants to step in in a way and transform their life so that he alone is glorified. You never know what God is up to. And we see right here, Paul did not wait. Saul did not wait. He didn't sit on the sidelines and say, let me, let me get ready. No, God called him to a mission and he got life on purpose. And live that out. He ain't wait. He said, I didn't even wait to go to Jerusalem. matter of fact, I was preaching for years. Then I finally went up there and I met Peter. We chopped it up. You know, I hung with him for 15 days. Yeah. Now we know where, where he got uh, in First Corinthians when he started talking about the gospel and, and Jesus revealing himself to the apostles and all that. Now we see, oh, like he was hanging, he, he was chilling with Peter. But he was still hiding out because folk were scared of him. They couldn't believe. They couldn't believe God would save him. He was an undesirable. He was an undeserving. And no way God would do that for him. So he was hiding. But he wasn't hiding, hiding. He was kind of hiding. Just he's like, look, they ain't ready for it. But I'm gonna go, I'm gonna go to the people that don't had heard the gospel.
0: More from Dr. Jones in a moment. But first, during this month, you can request your MP3 download of the sermon series Forever Family with your donation to the ministry. This is a great resource where Dr. Jones teaches how believers do not relate to one another like family, but we are truly family in Christ Jesus. Go to daryljones.org, that's d-a-r-y-l jones.org, to give and request your copy today. Now let's rejoin Dr. Jones for the rest
1: of today's message. But check this out, Galatians chapter 2, look at what else he says, now, From those recognized as imported, what they once were makes no difference to me. God does not show favoritism. They added nothing to me. On the contrary, they saw that I had been entrusted with the gospel for the uncircumcised, just as Peter for the circumcised. Since the one at work in Peter for an apostleship to the circumcised was also at work in me for the Gentiles. He was saved and he understood that he was saved to serve. He didn't wait for human authorization. Now, this is not, I don't want you to run with this and say he got no training. No, remember, he was trained extensively in the Hebrew Scriptures. Now he's met Jesus face to face. And now Jesus has called him to be an apostle to Even right authoritative scripture. But he got on mission for God. And he's saying, the gospel I preach wasn't some human origin or somebody taught me. No, no, this is from Jesus. He's letting them know this message is from God himself. And he's declaring it. I love how he's revealing himself and telling his story because He does this over and over and over. And as we go through his life, He's, he's going on these mission strips. He's, he, he's planting churches. He's discipling people. He's doing all that. Jesus, he's, and he's doing it. It's not like it's convenient. He's been beaten, battered, bruised, left for dead. I mean, he got enemies all over the place, people trying to kill him, but nothing can shake him because he understands the truth of the gospel and the call on his life and the mission God has given him. He is not going to let anyone deter him because he knows that he knows that he knows that he knows who the Lord is, and what the Lord has called him to do. And he's all in. He grows in his self-understanding. And I, 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 I love it because the more he wrestles with living out the mission of God, he sees himself more clearly when it comes to his dependence on God. As gifted as he is, he recognizes I need the Lord. I can do nothing without the Lord. This is what we see and what it truly means to be a follower of Jesus Christ that we don't stand on our own anymore. We follow the Lord. Why do I say this? When he gives his, his background, remember he was trained he had the greatest of educations. He, he, he has a background where he comes from, he's a, he's a Roman citizen. He got clout in the region. He can make appeals to Caesar. He can do all this stuff. Notice what he says. The more clearly he sees Jesus, the more clearly he sees himself. And I want you to get this. The more clearly he sees Jesus, the more clearly he sees himself. To the Philippians, he wrote this. He wrote Philippians chapter 3, verses 3 through 9. I'm going to go to it. I'm going to go to it in my Bible. And I, w- I was going to read it from my screen, but I'm going to go. I, I, I like, something, something about the, just having the paper in my hand. You know, verse three, he says, for we are the circumcision, the ones who worship by the spirit of God, boast in Christ Jesus and do not put confidence in the flesh. Although I have reasons for confidence in the flesh, if anyone else thinks he has grounds for confidence in the flesh, I have more circumcised on the eighth day of the nation of Israel of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew born of Hebrews, regarding the law a Pharisee, regarding zeal persecuting the church, regarding the righteousness that is in the law, blameless but everything that was a gain to me, I have considered to be a loss because of Christ more than that, I also consider everything to be a loss in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord because of him I have suffered the loss of all things and consider them as dung So that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own from the law, but one that is through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God based on faith. You know what the mouthful of it, he says, look, if anybody can put confidence in human achievement, you can't touch me. He like that old old MC hammer, can't touch this. From my birth, my parents were following the law before I could even do it myself. Circumcised me on the eighth day. He, He like, look, dude, I'm from the nation of Israel, the chosen people of God. I'm from the tribe of Benjamin, the the first king of Israel. The, the tribe that even though we had some ups and downs, we stayed in the south with Judah and held to temple worship when the northern kingdom was disobedient and was kicked out by the Assyrians. Yeah, we, we balling. I was a Pharisee. I was committed to the law. I kept the whole law. All the sacrifices, everything that was said in there, I did it all. You can't touch me when it comes to human perfection. He says, but you know what? The more I saw Christ, the more I found out all that human achievement, all that confidence I could put in the flesh, it was like dung, crap, feces when compared to Christ. He says, I don't want that. As a matter of fact, I give all that away when it comes to knowing Christ and the righteousness that's God's righteousness by faith. He says, I do nothing and I love, I love, I love these statements because we see this growth in Saul, known as the Apostle Paul, even in his writings. There's a passage. I want you to look at three, three last passages. Like, he talks about his boast is in the Lord. We saw that in Philippians. He said it in Galatians. He said his boast in the Lord, his boast is in the cross alone. He said, I'm not going to brag on anything. And he started to grow more and more in seeing himself properly the more he saw Jesus. And this, these are some things that he said in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 9. He says this, For I am the least of the apostles. Not worthy to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. Now, we we can read that, and it's him recounting the gospel and all that. But I want you to pick up on something. This is an earlier letter. Not the first, not the earliest, but one of his earlier letters. And he counts himself as the least of the apostles. He acknowledged he is an apostle, doesn't deserve it, it's by God's grace. But when it comes to the apostles, he's like, look, I'm not even the greatest one. He's taking a side of humility. These cats was called before me, but God called me, I'm serving faithfully. I'm one of the least of the apostles. A few years goes by, he writes another letter. Let's see how he sees himself now. In Ephesians chapter 3 verse 8, he says, This grace, the mission to take the gospel to the Gentiles. This grace was given to me, the least of all the saints, to proclaim to the Gentiles the incalculable riches of Christ. He says, this grace, the call on my life to go out and take the gospel, you, you can't even count. We can't even measure the riches we have in Christ. He said, and he calls himself this. See, see, in his ministry, he was calling himself the least of the apostles. A few years goes by, now he's calling himself the least of all the saints. He's looking at himself compared to the whole of the church now. He's not, he's not comparing himself to the apostles, the leaders. He's not looking at the church and he says, look, I'm even the least when it comes to even all the saints. He says, I'm not better than you all. I'm no better. I'm no greater. I'm just serving my purpose. You have a purpose. And he's letting them know, I don't even see myself as any greater. Matter of fact, I'm, I'm even behind many of you all. I'm the least when it comes to the saints because I was an enemy of the gospel. I deserve nothing. It's all about God's grace. And as he gets closer to the end of his life, he writes to Timothy. 1 Timothy 1.15. This saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. And I am the worst of them. All saints. do y'all see that? He went from least of the apostles, the least of the saints. I'm even the worst of sinners. The more he saw Jesus... The more he saw himself and his need for Jesus. The more he understood the grace and mercy of God, the more understood he underst- the more he grew in understanding his dependence of what it means to stand before God. This is why in Romans 5, 8 through 10, he basically right says, Look, we are all sinners, but Christ demonstrated his love. We didn't have to get right, Christ died for us anyway. Then he says, he's reconciled us. He saved us from the wrath of God. And then he says, we were enemies, all of us. And he writes this because he's speaking from firsthand experience. I was killing the church. I was literally setting out to destroy the church. You know why this is important, family? This is important because two things. You may be thinking about somebody that you can't stand and you have no idea God's heart for them. And I'm asking you right now, do you see other people as God sees them? And it's not like he sees them at their best. No, no. He sees them at their worst. And he says, I am in the business of transforming. I am in the business of redeeming. I am in the business of delivering. I am in the business of reconciliation. I am in the business of conforming into the image of my son. Let's look at this like a diamond. Let's turn it a little bit. You may be sitting here watching. You may be sitting here listening, and you think you're too bad for God to love you. You may think that you have done too many evil things. You've hurt people. You've, you, you've stolen. You've killed. You've murdered. You've aborted. You've been living sexually immoral lifestyles. You've been trafficking and selling people. You may be thinking that you've done so much evil. You are. Outside the boundary of God's love, his grace, mercy, and forgiveness. Let me tell you something. If God could save Saul of Tarsus, aka the Apostle Paul, let me tell you something. He's able to save you. So right now I'm asking you, give him your life. See, right now, is ne- the, the time is now to say yes to Jesus. As Jesus approached Saul on that road to Damascus, right now, if you're listening, if you're watching right now, Jesus is saying, here I am. I have paid for your sins. I'm washing your sins away. Say yes to me. Trust me. Commit to me. You have eternal life, Jesus says. Come now, if you're sitting here, I'm inviting you right now. Say yes to Jesus. And my prayer is that you experience firsthand like this foe who became a follower, Saul, a.k.a. Paul, that you experience and know for yourself the joy of the forgiveness of your sins that you can walk in the joy and the peace only found in Jesus Christ and that you may live out your purpose on this life with the guaranteed promise of eternal life with him.
0: Thank you for listening to Point with Daryl Jones. This was just one part from the series Ordinary People, Extraordinary Experiences where we learn how God uses everyday normal people to accomplish amazing things for the kingdom of God. If this ministry has blessed you and you would like to partner with Point Ministries, please visit daryljones.org. That's d-a-r-y-l jones.org. Your financial generosity keeps us on the air, and we are grateful for your faithfulness. And remember, keep making Jesus the point.